Well, in our Ephesians chapter 5 passage there, uh, the last couple of verses that Ed read to us, 15 and 16, says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you that you, we can be here and your presence is right here with us. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth and guides us on how we should live, how should we should interact with others. So we pray the Holy Spirit, Lord, would just guide each of us in your truth as together we look into your word and may each one just find a blessing this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, we are living in, in both an amazing and an alarming time in history, you know. Uh, amazing because of the advancement in technology in really almost every area of our life, right? Think about some of the technology. Some of you are looking up your Bible verses this morning on your smartphone, right? You don't carry a Bible anymore. I know you're probably looking up the verses because football season's over, baseball hadn't started, you're not looking up scores right now or, or standings or anything, so you're probably looking at them up. How many here can remember when you only had one phone in the house and it was a rotary phone? Yeah, see, I, re I remember those things, yeah. At my grandparents' farm, they had one of these phones where, you know, you, you grab the receiver and then you turn the crank. Yeah, David remembers that. And then the operator would connect you, you know. And, and thinking of, of rotary phones, has any of y'all seen the YouTube of the young people trying to make a phone call on a rotary phone? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, look at that. That's hilarious. They come up, they, they dial the number, and then they pick up the handle, and, of course, there's nothing but a dial tone. So they put it down, and they dial again, pick it up, nothing, you know. Another kid pushes him out of the way, let me do it. He takes it, he puts the phone down, dials it. I don't think they ever did make the phone call. And can you, can you imagine trying to text on a rotary phone? Now, that would be interesting. And you see that that rotary phone was usually in the central location in the house, right? Ours was in the hall. I'd seen some maybe in the kitchen. So, you know, you're sitting in the living room watching TV. The phone rings. You've got to get up and go into the other room so you can answer the phone, right? Well, my dad, he thought... Oh, he's going to fix this. And he found this really long phone extension cord. He plugged it into the hall, ran it down the hall, through the door, across the living room floor, and set the phone on the coffee table. That way, while he's watching TV, if the phone rang, he can just pick it up. right? And remember TVs? When I was a kid, we had the TV was this huge box. Got about three channels, you know, but this huge box. And your remote control was having children. When my dad wanted the station changed, he said, son, go up there and change that to channel 8. You know. Nowadays, you just talk and the TV changes channels for you on some of these newer ones. You know. Automobiles have changed. You, know. you used to look under the hood and it was very simple. You, know, you had a straight six, maybe a V8, and there was a carburetor and your distributor and wires and plug. Everything was simple. Now you look under there, everything is computerized, even on your engine. Right? I had to take my car into the 
dealership last week because a check engine light came on. Used to be there were gauges, right? You just watch your oil gauge. If it gets too low, you know you need to check your oil. And on. Temperature gauge, if it's raising too high, you know you need to check your radiator. Now there's nothing on the dash. It's just when something is going wrong, a light comes on. The light doesn't tell you what's wrong. It just says, take it in, you know. It ended up, but my problem was, they just needed to update the computer on my car. I'd never heard of that before. They updated the computer on my car. Life has definitely changed with technology, and it, it really is amazing. But life has also become very alarming. Look, look at the sexes in our society today. God's Word says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. So there's two genders, male and female. But now in our society today, we have all kinds of genders that they've thought up. And our society wants everyone to use whatever bathroom they feel like they are. And we're to accept this as a acceptable lifestyle. And, and we all know of the stories of Christian businesses being sued simply because they wanted to stand on what they believe, what they believe is true. You see, we don't get to hold on to what we believe and stand for. We have to change. I saw a commercial just oh, about a week ago. I, it was really, I couldn't believe it. I've never seen this one before. It was a commercial pushing for all 50 states to legalize transgender marriage because, here's, here's their catchphrase, we are all human, so let's legalize this in every state. Well, Norman Vincent Peale once said, sex is just about the most powerful and explosive force that is built into us. Every instinct and every bit of counseling experience I have had tells me it is too dangerous a commodity to be handed over to people with no strings attached. And that's what our society wants today. They want sex with no strings attached, just whatever they want to do. But Romans 1, you can read through there, and Paul tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, verse 18. He goes on, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened, verse 21. Therefore, Paul says, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And he finishes off, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Notice how God calls what's going on today. Impure, 
dishonoring, degrading, unnatural, indecent, and there will be due penalty for it. You see, what God says our society is doing is because they were given over to their passions because they rejected God. They rejected God. And then there's the issue of abortion. Pastor kind of touched on it last week. I never in my wildest dream fathomed that we could come this far. Right? The governor of Virginia, I guess he is wanting to one-up New York, who says you can have abortion all the way up to your due date. The governor of Virginia said, once delivered, the doctors and the mother would discuss if the child was viable or not. Can you believe someone would? And this man's a doctor himself. Can you believe that? Paul says in that passage that Ed read for us, For it is disgraceful to even speak of things which are done by them in secret. And the problem with our society today, these things aren't done in secret. They're boldly proclaimed as if this is okay. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I don't I'm probably pronounce this poor Russian's last name wrong. Solzhenitsyn, that's what it looks like. He's a Russian author outspoken critic of the Soviet Union and communism, which landed him in jail for many years in the Soviet Union. He asked the question back in 1978, and I know that's a long time ago, but I think it's a question we can ask today. He asked, how did the West decline from its triumphal march to its present sickness? His answer to that question? The elevation of man over God. And 40 years later, that elevation of man over God has brought us to where we are today. See, we live in a society that is in a moral tailspin. And any morality that still exists, it's being attacked. And too many people have lost all motivation for ethics. Think about television shows that are in the family hour. They're filled with adultery and promiscuity and homosexuality. And Christians buy into this culture, seemingly unaware of the offense and the impact it's going to have. Few people are being convicted by the light because the light has chosen to go back into darkness. And so as Christians, desiring to honor God, how are we supposed to walk in and live out our faith in this society we're in. Do we just give up? Say, well, what's the use? Can't do anything about it. I'm just going to stay in my little little group here of fellow believers and the heck with everybody else. Or is it on your mind thinking that, well, things are so bad, I'm sure the rapture is going to happen any day and we can get out of here. Those people can just be left with do whatever they want to do, right? Actually, that may very well be true. Or do we awake, arise, and let Christ shine through us to these people who are wandering in darkness? Well, I believe we see some answers in this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians has been called the epistle for today. Uh, They say this book could have been written to any of our churches today. Maybe it could have been written to our church. Christians too easily adopt the attitudes of the surrounding culture. And that culture just does not mesh with Christ. 
What we do matters because we belong to God. So it matters what we do. So let's let Ephesians be our guide today. So you can take the book of Ephesians and you can really divide it into two major thoughts here. Chapters 1 through 3 talk about the calling of the church. And chapters 4 through 6 is about the conduct of the church or how we as individuals should be walking in our faith. Because we are the church. When we leave here this morning, the church doesn't stay behind in this building. The church goes out into the community through believers. That's you and me. And so this book is so relevant for us today. In fact, early church leaders would refer, refer to and quote this letter early and often. People, some of the old church founders like Clements of Rome and Ignatius and Polycarp, you know, these, these were contemporaries of Paul, and they saw the real value in this book of Ephesians. Uh, maybe it was because Paul was trying to show what living for Christ looks like. Isn't that what we like to know? All right, I'm a Christian now, so what does it look like to live for Christ? In the NIV application commentary on Ephesus, they say, Paul sought to ground, shape, and challenge his readings, uh, readers so that they might live their faith. And that's my goal today, to challenge us to live our faith unashamed in this crazy world that we live in. So that Christ, his light, can shine through us. Just like our theme this year, right above me here, right? Stay salty, burn brightly. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's what our world desperately needs today. Our world needs us to walk in our faith carefully, wisely, and make the most of our time. So the first thing we see as we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, we need to decide who we are. Who do you seek to emulate, you know? When you're out there and you're coming across different people, whether it's old friends or people at work, maybe at school or in your neighborhood, what do they see? Do they see the things of the world in you? Or do they see Christ? Look at that first verse in Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. See, seeking to be like Christ, to emulate God, that's not a foreign concept to God's people. In Leviticus 19, the Lord told Moses you, uh, to say this to the, to the children of Israel. You shall be holy because the Lord your God am holy. Jesus told his disciples, right, in Matthew 5:48, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Paul told the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 11, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. See, Paul sought to imitate Christ, to be holy, to be perfect, just as his heavenly Father and Jesus Christ his Savior was. And he said, Hey, you guys do the same. You know, Follow and be imitators of God. So the question is, are we imitating God? Because that's the first step to shining the light of Christ to our community, to our world. And, of course, the next he talks about how, how do we treat others? 
right? Verse 2. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Love is, should be the sphere that believers live in, right? Jesus commanded it, right, in John 13, 34. Uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That was a command from Jesus. And what does that type of love look like? Well, you see what it looks like from Christ. He gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. When we love as Christ loved us, we give ourselves for others. We sacrifice our will so that God's will is done. And Paul says that's, an, that's a fragrant aroma to God. You know, that type of image used in, in the Bible, a fragrant aroma, is a way to express God's pleasure in what's been done. And so when we love as Christ loved us, God is pleased. That's the way he wants Christians to live. Imitate him, love others, right? But we also must look at our character. Look at verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It's simply not proper for Christians to have these in their lives. Immorality, impurity. These are, are two words that really are tandem covering any sexual sin. If you look at the original, any sexual sin. And then greed. Greed is a, a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. And the Jewish understanding of greed was the sin encompassing all sins. See, greed motivates all other sin. It is the highest act of revolt away from God because in greed, desire takes the place of God. Desire, rather than God, determines life. So greed is not good to have in our lives. Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, to consider the members of your body dead to these th sins. These sins are totally contrary to what it means to be a Christian. And Paul goes on to indicate that we also need to look at our speech. What comes out of our mouth? Verse 4 says, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Paul's really concerned about the, the shameful indecent language that some have. Jesus said in Matthew 12:34, "For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart." Got that? Jesus saying, "The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart." So our question is, is our hearts filled with filthiness, stupidity and abrasiveness? Or is it filled with thanksgiving? For Paul, thanksgiving was a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the basic attitude of the Christian, right? I mean, as a Christian, we look and we see who we were and what we've been saved from. And so we should realize amongst anyone else 
and be so thankful to God. It is the basic attitude of the Christian. It forces attention on God, His grace, His desires, rather than on one's own desires. Paul says, you can know for certain no one like he just described, impure, immoral, greedy, has a place in the kingdom of Christ and God. So if we are going to walk in our faith carefully, wisely, and make the most of our time, we need to be imitating God. We need to love as Christ loves. And we need to keep ourselves pure and filled with thanksgiving. And we need to refrain from partaking in disobedience. Remember I said, unfortunately, in, in society today, many Christians just go along with what's going on there. All right? But look at verse 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Christians, as Christians, we need to live in social relationship with people in our community, right? Acts 1.8 is where Jesus Christ tells his disciples, you are to be my witnesses, right? So we are to be his witnesses. So we cannot exclude ourselves from unbelievers. Otherwise, how are we going to be the salt and light of the world? But we are not to participate in the sinful lifestyle of the unbelievers. Paul, in verse 11, tells us, Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Unfruitful deeds of darkness. See, some of the things that unbelievers do should not be a part of the Christian life. And you'd be surprised what a witness that is when you're amongst friends who maybe aren't believers and they want to do something that you know is against God's Word. And you opt out of it, or you speak up and let them know why, you'd be surprised how that touches some of the people. A couple of times that has happened in my life, and every time, a couple of days later, someone came by and thanked me for standing up for what I believe, because they wanted the boldness to do it as well. And so what Paul is saying in this verse 7 and 11 do not part- be partner with or participate with wrongdoing. See, these deeds of darkness, they are fruitless. They are useless in producing what God desires to produce in your life. They fit darkness. They do not fit Christ. And so Paul reminds us that we, we were once there in the darkness. But those who came to Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in Him for salvation, they become children of light. And He wants us to walk in that light. Okay? For the light produces goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what should uh, be coming out of the Christian believer. In fact, we're not only to withdraw from wrongdoing, but what did it say there at the end of verse 11? But instead, even expose them. Now, Paul didn't elaborate what he means by this, to expose them. 
I looked up, Webster tells me that expose means to make known, to bring to light, to disclose the faults or crimes of. Some versions use the word reproof there instead of expose. Reproof means to scold or correct, usually gently, with a kindly intent, to express disapproval of. And so Paul's saying, hey, we need to expose the lie here. Sometimes this may mean to just walk away from a situation. Other times, we need to speak up for the truth. See, I believe we have so many today who are heading down the path of darkness in ignorance. And they need to hear the truth of the light. Because so many today do not know it. They haven't been grown up with it. That was the amazing thing we found out. Years ago, when the middle school used to be across the street, and we started on Thursday, before school Thursday morning, after school Thursday afternoon, we invited all the middle school kids over for a time in the Word and fellowship. Of course, they came for the food and the games, but they got the Word. And it was amazing how many of these kids coming over here in middle school knew nothing about the Bible, knew nothing about God and Jesus Christ. They are in darkness, and they need to hear the truth and the light. So when we speak up, look what happens in verse 13. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Now this statement's a little bit hard to understand, right? Paul's saying here. We can understand the first part, right? But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. We know that's true, you know. A lot of people like to keep their sins in darkness, but when they're exposed, they just they begin to realize just where they are. But what does he mean when they are exposed by, uh, for everything that becomes visible is light? He's not saying because you bring the sin out into the light, well, then it's okay. I think, believe what he is saying is that revealing is not merely negative, exposing the sin that's there, but it's also positive as well, so that people are both exposed and transformed. See, the person who exposed to the light and convinced and convicted by the light, then that person's transformed, which is what Christ has called us all to do, right? To witness of him so that people can turn and come to Christ. That's why he says in verse 14, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, before we knew Christ, we were dead in our sins. Someone doesn't know Christ, they are dead in their sins. But once we see the light of truth in Jesus Christ, we're alive. And Christ will not only shine on us, he gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that he can shine through us and touch the lives of others. I like how Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message, puts it, this verse. He says, wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins, and Christ will show you the light. Yeah. This is what happens when we stand for the truth. People are able to see the light. And try to go from darkness to light and be saved. 
Sometimes I think we as Christians need to hear this same message. We need to wake up and realize, hey, we are not dead anymore. So let's let Christ shine through us, right? And then we walk, as, as 15 and 16 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So how does this work out in our lives today? We look at the society we live in and ask, is it possible to pull out of this moral tailspin? Sometimes it it just doesn't look possible, does it, to us? But you know what? Of course it's possible if the light does its job. Ephesians 4.1 says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, Christians need to stand on the truth of God's Word and be that salt and light in this world. But we must do it in a way where the people will, as Matthew 5.16 says, see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so where do we start? You know, the basic groundwork is really found in uh, Micah 6.8. We actually have part of it on the wall over here. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So he's told us what is good. Imitate him. Have the same love as Christ. And what the Lord requires of us is to be his witness and to show that light. And the way we do it, Always do what's right before God. Act justly, as it says here. Be kind to all. Love mercy, as our said over here. See, remember, they're in darkness. They don't understand the truth. So we need to be kind when we're sharing the truth. And then walk humbly. We are no better than anyone else. Because remember, Paul reminded us, we were once in that darkness. And we should be so thankful that the Lord... Jesus Christ showed us the light. And then maybe we can follow the path of Ephesians 5 here. That'd be a good place to start. Being imitators of God. What does that mean, being imitators of God? um, I've heard it said every morning as we're driving to work, I listen to KCBAI there on the radio, and one of the uh, disc jockeys there, she, she quotes this quite often. I think, you know, that's a pretty good, I don't know where it came from, but... It's pretty good. He says, she says, you can't follow someone you don't trust. You can't trust someone you don't know. And you can't know Christ apart from his word. Okay. If you are never in God's word, if your Bible is never open through the week as you're at home, you don't know Christ because that's where it tells us. We must be in the word learning just who God is and how to live before him. So I challenge you if, you, if you've never done that before, get into the Word every day. We've got daily breads both in the foyer and in the hall here on the table. They're great, just a little short. doesn't take you long at all to just read a little bit of God's Word and get a thought going for the day. Get the Bible open. We need to love as Christ loves. See, we need to speak the truth in love even when we reject what the people are doing. I remember... Uh, when I was in business years ago, I had a man come into our store and 
he, he wanted my jeweler to make him a pentagram he could wear around his neck because he is a Satan worshiper. I told him, we're not going to make a pentagram. And I was, you know, I remembered that 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ in the Lord as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. So I was ready, you know, and I told that person exactly who Satan was and God, you know, and I pretty he didn't like the way I was coming at him. He, uh, he said he was going to ask Satan to put a curse on my business, but, you know, business did well. My problem is I did not win that person over to the light because of the way I answered him, you know. See, we forget the verse. I didn't read all the verse to you. Yes, we are to be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's the way you win people over to the light. Okay. People need to know we care for them even when we reject what they're doing. Okay. Love as Christ loves us. Keep ourselves pure and filled with thanksgiving. We do that by living continually in the Lord, aware of Him, determined by Him, discerning what is pleasing to Him. As you go out through the day, how often do we think of the Lord? You know. Keep him on your mind in all situations. Refrain from partaking with and participating in disobedience. We need to call sin, sin, and not ignore it. We do that too often in our world today. Well, that's just the way they are. No. We looked at Romans. They're the way they are because they reject God, and they need God. Call sin, sin. Expose the darkness for what it is. And then shine the light of truth on the darkness in our world. Paul says that we are the light in the Lord. He doesn't say we're, well, part light and part darkness. I'm afraid that's the way a lot of Christians try to live, right? He says we are light in the Lord. He doesn't say try to be the light in the Lord. He says, you are the light in the Lord. See, Paul took conversion very seriously. And this statement about people, it's about people who are in Christ. And it's only in the Lord that we are light. So our question this morning, are you in Christ? If you are, wake up, rise up, and let Christ shine through you but doing it in a way that shows God's love to those around you. And if you are not, you can be today. It's as simple as realizing your sin and you're separated from God and believing that Jesus is God who came down to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to the cross and died, taking the penalty of our sin with him was buried, but then he rose again on that third day. And he sits now alive at the right hand of the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. As Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So a question I always have for all of us, what have we done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a believer in Christ, then we need to walk in our faith carefully, wisely, and make the most of our time letting Christ shine through us. Right. Let's pray.